Welcome to another Sunday morning sermon from Marysville Christian Church. We're glad you're here joining us on this journey to learn more, love more, and look more like Jesus. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and a Bible as we dive into God's Word. One of the reasons why you'll frequently hear us refer to this, it's not just a marketing logo, but it's something that we hope becomes part of the actual DNA of our church here at Marysville Christian. Our intention, our desire is to help you learn more about Jesus. The best way to do that is to look in a book, but also to pay attention to those who actually have learned enough about Jesus that they start to love just like Jesus loved. Because honestly, it doesn't matter how much you know about Jesus, if that doesn't translate into how you relate with others, then you've wasted everybody's time. And that's kind of the ultimate idea, that we learn, love, and look more like Jesus. That's how we gain credibility, not just as a church, but us as individuals. And one of the reasons why credibility is so crucial is because as people observe the life that we live, they determine whether our faith is real and genuine. Jesus would describe it this way in Mark chapter 7. He was quoting Isaiah 29. He'd say, without authenticity, our worship's a waste of time. Here's what he said. Their worship doesn't mean anything to me because they teach human rules as though they were my laws. So it's not just the fraudulent claim that my preferences and my opinions were what Jesus expects. It's the idea that we've totally misrepresented God. Later in John chapter 5, verse 39 and 40, we'd see there Jesus talking about how an emphasis on Scripture doesn't necessarily get us anywhere in and of itself. Because if we emphasize Scripture and just knowledge, that knowledge of Scripture can lead us to arrogance. But if we emphasize Jesus... That leads us to humility. He says, you search the Scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life. But the Scriptures point to me, and yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. You see, life isn't lived in quarantine. We'll just leave it at that. I'll be good. Life isn't supposed to be lived in quarantine. We're not isolated. We're not in solitary confinement. We are to accept the responsibility for the actual effect and impact that we have on other people. That's why when he would talk in 1 Corinthians 13 about love, he would, he would describe it this way, and I'll summarize it, okay, for the sake of brevity and on the screen in front of you. Without love, our words are just annoying. And we know plenty of annoying people. Please don't shout out my name. It'll be embarrassing. <laughs> our, without love, our words are just annoying, and, and it's just a noisy gong or symbol. Without love, there's nothing to benefit from our knowledge of faith. And without love, everything that we offer, everything that we give, everything we sacrifice for others is meaningless because it's just meant to make us look good. And that's not love. 
That's why Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that when we become more Christ-like, others become more willing to trust God in His church, the body of Christ. As we reflect on the Lord, who's the Spirit, notice the intention. He makes us more and more like Him as we're changed into His image. And that's the point of learning more, loving more, and looking more like Him. The reason why this is a relevant issue is especially seen in a series, What About? Because quite simply, this question, what about hypocrites, is one of the most frequently asked questions that come up. What do you do about hypocrites? Why do Christians post all kinds of God stuff on social media, but then post pictures and activities or their rants that aren't even close to being godly? Why are Christians always on me about not coming to church with them? I mean, it's embarrassing when I'm the preacher, right? But You've got friends who wonder, you know, why are they all about me coming to church with them, but then they're out drinking with me on Saturday night? Why do Christians complain about the condition of marriage and family values, but have the same divorce rate as everybody else? Doesn't faith mean anything in their personal life? Many reject faith, not because of the persuasive arguments of atheists that are so compelling, but because of the hypocrisy of Christians that's so repulsive to us. The difference between a Christian and a hypocrite is kind of like the difference between a fruit tree and a Christmas tree. Yeah, it's July, so we can talk about Christmas in July now, right? You know the deal with a fruit tree. The life inside the fruit tree is what produces the appetizing fruit on the tree. The same thing ought to be true for us as Christians. The only problem is a Christmas tree may be attractive, but it's not alive. It's cut off from the root system and becomes evident that it's dead. And that's why we get back to the question, what about hypocrites? Because like that Christmas tree, it looks shiny and pretty for a while as long as it's got the right decorations on it. But in time, it becomes evident that it's not alive. And when people have a negative reaction to what they negatively react to, might obviously be referred to as Christmas tree Christianity. All decorated up, but it just still looks like shiny tinsel. And it's entirely fair for people to be critical of hypocritical Christians. And there's no sense trying to make excuses for phony faith. So how about for this morning, I spend the rest of my time just helping us remember why we need to live real, honest lives of faith. It starts with this. If you're offended by superficial spirituality, you're on the same page as Jesus. And that's always a good place to be. Because just like Jesus, just like us, Jesus typically encountered two different types of people. People who were in denial about their sin, and just like us, he had contempt for them. And people who admitted their sin, 
and just like us, we tend to have a whole lot more compassion for them. It was in the Sermon on the Mount, in the middle of that, in chapter 6 of Matthew, during his first public statement about what he was all about, Jesus absolutely went ballistic. He went off on the hypocrisy of people who pretended to be all about God. Now, in that time, their faith was usually recognized by their generosity, their prayers, and by their public fasting, or their public display of fasting. And yet, in verse 2 of Matthew 6, he says, don't be like the hypocrites. And then he goes on to list all of those areas, their generosity or their apparent generosity, their apparent sincere prayers, and the show that they made when they fasted to impress people. He says, they're just putting on a show to impress you. They're not impressing God at all. And the reason was because of what he says in Matthew 15 that I referred to earlier in verse 7 and 8. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he said about you, these people honor me with their words, but their hearts, not their words, their hearts are far from me. You see, he called out the hypocrisy of people who were supposed to be the leaders of their religion. He called out people who were supposed to be the role models. He called out the people who were supposed to be the teachers who would help them learn more about their God. And if you've ever been mad at somebody because they called you out for being a hypocrite, it may be because they were speaking some Jesus into your life. And it hurt because you knew they were right. That's exactly what Jesus did in Matthew 23. I won't read the whole chapter, but simply summarize it in verse 13. He just says to these same people, you hypocrites, you shut the door. Some versions say you slam the door shut to the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. Why would anybody do that? He says you refuse to go in yourselves, but you won't let anybody else enter even when they're trying to. Jesus doesn't hold back. People who are trying to find God can't because they can't see past our mask of godliness. If this last year has taught us anything about masks, <laughs> right? And the question we've all had is, how effective are they? Well, that's especially true for Christians. Because if we're trying to suffice faith in a relationship with God based on a mask that we hide behind, it's completely ineffective. The meaning for the original Greek word used for mask is hupokritasi. How about that? And if you speak the original Greek language, you can see me later and tell me how badly I messed that up. But here's what it means. That's more important than my pronunciation. It was a word used in theater of an actor. And the word actually meant one who wears a mask or one who hides behind a mask. I'll just pause here and let you fill in the next blank or two of a few sentences about what this last year has meant about people who hide behind masks. Now apply that to faith and Christianity. 
You see, that's how Jesus described people whose spirituality wasn't who they really were. It was just a mask that they put on. It was a role that they played like an actor on the stage. They knew how to put the costume on for showtime, but when the show's over, they took it up, put it away in the closet so they'd know where to find it when they needed it again. And Jesus condemned this kind of acting because it was a barrier to faith. It kept people out of the kingdom why would people do that i mean those other people that are horrible people that are hypocrites right not us people who are trying to find god they're scared that they won't be accepted anything that has real value will always be counterfeited and hypocrisy is a struggle for non-Christians as well. It's not just something unique to faith. It's not just something unique to those who want a relationship with God because faking it is a result of fear, not faith. Let me illustrate with this. When God created Adam and Eve, they had no guilt. Therefore, they had no shame or no fear. Their self-esteem came from a very healthy connection with God and the confidence that came in that relationship with Him. They knew God loved them. That's why they knew they had no reason to be afraid of Him. And consequently, everything about their life and everything about their relationship with Him, with him was completely transparent, real, and authentic. And then comes Satan. And all he did was create doubt. That's the very first thing he did was to create doubt. He didn't create guilt. He created doubt. Doubt in their heart. And the first thing they did was to cover up in shame and fear. That's what happens when you try to get approval and acceptance from somebody other than God. When you're confronted about it, our first reaction is try to continue hiding. And just like Adam and Eve, blame somebody else. But here's the truth about hypocrites. Because they fear rejection, people struggle with faking it, whether they claim to be Christians or not. You don't have to be a Christian to be a hypocrite. We're not the only ones. We, we didn't get the copyright on hypocrisy. It's because of fear. Now, I have to warn you, I, I seriously considered asking them to just block off the camera for this part. Because that's my fear, knowing that this is a worldwide web. And once this is out there, it's going to be out there. So let's say it anyway. People and businesses and organizations are in full scramble mode right now to find a mask that will protect them. An image that will make them acceptable in this culture. You want some evidence of that?
people struggle with fear of being rejected, and that shows up in the colors in the flag that they fly. What stripes? Signs in store windows. <laughs> when the town around you is being burned down with riots, you saw people spray paint the ethnicity of the owner of the store in hopes that somehow that would exempt them from the rioting and the fires and the looting. Why would they do that? wasn't necessarily because they were proud of their ethnicity. They were afraid that they would lose their business. Corporations make donations out of the kindness of their heart, I'm sure. No, it's called a shakedown. Protection money is what it used to be called in Chicago during the days of the mob, but we don't know anybody from Chicago that's affiliated with that, right? If I give enough money to your organization, leave me alone. That's why I think all politicians ought to have one term, done. <laughs> and that's why Claudia and I looked at each other yesterday in our ride home from uh, Indiana when we saw a billboard in this little bitty town that was hardly even a crossroads. I don't think they even had a stop sign, let alone a stop light. And there was this great big gigantic billboard that said, take a stand and cancel, cancel culture. Isn't that awesome? And I thought, you, who, who's canceling? You're related to everybody in town. You're so small. What are you going to do? Not go to the reunion? I... Wait, that sounds like a good idea for some of us with some of our families. But that's the evidence of it, right? We struggle with faking it because we're afraid of what's going to happen to us if I don't present the right mask, image. The consequences of not appearing to conform creates a fear within us that motivates us to do things that we wouldn't ordinarily do. The tactic is to label and condemn everyone for the actions of a few so that we can control the many. At least that's the philosophy. And so every preacher is only in it for money. Every politician is only in it for money. Every police officer is, well, I mean, they're, they are just what they are, right? They're, 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 yeah, whatever, you fill in the blank. Everybody that claims to be a patriot, yeah, we know about those, right? But even, even the same thing happens that that gets why, why, that if you're a principal or a parent that's concerned about the curriculum, you get whitewashed with one extreme view or another. 
You see, they're all accused of being equally guilty because of the behavior of a few. And the message is quite simple, really. Comply to our acceptable image or die. What's the result of that kind of fear? What's the result of that kind of intimidation? Hypocrisy. That's why it's hypocritical to blame all of the world's problems on religious hypocrites and Christianity. But that's nothing new. It's just a simplistic response to a childlike philosophy that, I don't know, a, a musician might write a song about. Like John Lennon a few years ago. Imagine. It was a great song. Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine there's no religion, too. Imagine that all the people living life in peace. Yeah, it may make you a hit song. It may make you a lot of money. But it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because when you come to, when you come to the point of hypocrisy, If your solution is just to get rid of religion, thinking that that will end hypocrisy, you're sadly mistaken. Every single civilization in history that tried to get rid of religion saw a decrease in virtue. And consequently, some of the greatest bloodbaths in human history were the result of a government that was trying to get rid of religion. Now, these numbers may be overwhelming, but it's still true. I can't fathom this many people. Over 20 million. But that's how many people Joseph Stalin killed in the Soviet Union to get rid of religion because religion stood in the way of his power. But that's just a warm-up because over 70 million deaths were the number of lives taken by Mao Zedong in China when he tried to change their culture, their history, and their story to make it into something that would give him power and control. 70 million. It's almost embarrassing that a small number like 10 million were the number of lives that Hitler exterminated in Germany. But when Pol Pot took over Cambodia, he massacred over 20% of the population. That's enough math. My head's starting to hurt. You get the idea, though? That when a government tries to get rid of religion, it's not the solution that people think it might be. John Ortberg made this observation. Let me read what he says. Imagine a society with no religion, no faith in God. Does it seem likely that in that society, no one's going to covet somebody else's money, house, or spouse? Do people whose skin tone is different suddenly become one another's devoted servant? It's hard to imagine that just because religion is done away with, that greedy people suddenly become generous and angry people will become merciful and peaceful. Here's the reality is how he sums it up. 
in every single place Christianity has entered culture, the value of human life has increased. The worth of women and children was championed, and the dignity of people on the margins was proclaimed, and individual human freedoms were extolled. Happy Fourth of July. Where we celebrate freedom, we must also celebrate faith. In the very same sermon where Jesus condemned hypocrisy, he also said this in Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He doesn't say shine your light in their eyes. He simply says, let it shine so that they can see who you really are. Jesus is not encouraging people to seek out the spotlight, the center stage, so that everyone can see and give attention to them. His point was simply this. He was saying that that's how we should live our life, not to be a contradiction of what we say. But he calls us instead to live a life that actually blesses people by who we are. And when you do, those people will take notice. That's why, in trying to answer some of the what about questions, like what about hypocrites, we just have to admit in full disclosure, yeah, there's been a lot of bad stuff done in Jesus' name. It's embarrassing. The Inquisition, the Crusades, slavery, racism, all of that's been defended by people who claim to be Bible believers, who claim to be defending the one true faith. But don't blame Jesus for that. If you were the victim of identity theft, I mean, that's hard to fathom, right, that anybody would hack your account. And if somebody then opened up new accounts in your name and took out loans, would you feel obligated to pay their debt? Would that feel fair to you? Well, to be fair, let's not forget that there's been a lot of good done in the name of God as well. And that includes recognizing the good in the people that we know and maybe the people that we are that do wear his name with credibility and authenticity. You see, that's just it. Authenticity is about direction, not perfection. If you missed class this morning at 9 o'clock, you missed an incredible introduction to this sermon on hypocrisy. As was stated in class, we all sin. That's not under discussion. And every time we put on a mask and pretend to be something we're not, all hypocrisy is sin because it misses the mark of the purpose God intends for us to live our life by. But all but not all sin is hypocrisy. You see, just because you catch a Christian committing a sin doesn't necessarily make them a fake follower of Jesus. It just means that they're human and that they've messed up and that they've made a mistake and that they've rejected God, they've ignored God, they've maybe been mad at God and tried to hurt God. All of that happens. But it doesn't make them a fake follower. It it just means they failed in that moment. 
The only trouble is, it's not uncommon for Christians to find themselves in a lose-lose situation. When we do sin, people who see us label us as a hypocrite. But if we if they catch us on a good day and they're not catching us in a sin, well, then they label us as being self-righteous and holier than thou. Here's the reality, though. When you got baptized into Christ, it didn't, it didn't drown the devil. If anything, it just made him mad, kind of like trying to baptize a cat in a toilet. I know, it's a visual, and now you're stuck there, right? It's <laughs> not unlike some of us, though, when we went into the water. As a Christian, our fleshly desires that come so naturally to us are constantly in a battle with the spirit that God gave us to live within us. And that's just another way of saying that Christians struggle with temptation like everybody else. The question is, are you still struggling, or have you given up? Just because we're given the cure for sin by the great physician doesn't mean it will take our medicine. Some are just further down the road to recovery than others. But we all are trying to recover from the effects of sin in our lives. The very first thing God did to help transform us was to give us his spirit to live inside our heart because he knew that we can't make that change on our own without his spirit prompting us pushing us compelling us convicting us and motivating us anything we do in the name of religion is just going to be a mask because we're afraid of what other people will say about us in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, it says this, For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them, notice, to become like his son. God chose us to be like his son. Even though we've been saved, we're still in the process of being saved. Some people in church would call that sanctification. Others just refer to it as maturity or growth or growing up in Christ. But regardless of what you call it, that's why each and every Christian is in a lifelong construction project, kind of like 270 around Columbus. <laughs> it's always under construction because it's always heavily used. And the same thing is true of us. We will always be under construction because we're always a work in progress. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I'm sure of this, that the good work that God began in you will continue until He completes it. On the day when Jesus Christ comes again. That's why Christians should be judged by their direction, not by their perfection. For many of us, we started our walk with Jesus because of the integrity that we saw in the lives and the faith of other people. And that example of how to live life and faith with integrity is something that needs to begin in each one of our own personal lives as husbands, as wives as kids, 
as parents. You can't subcontract that out to the church. And you can't subcontract that out to a youth minister or a pulpit minister or any other church staff. Not even Angie can do that for you. <laughs> Sorry to blow your cover. And don't get me wrong, if we could be perfect, then we wouldn't have needed Jesus, would we? The people who are watching us, they don't need to see us being perfect. What they do need to see is somebody who is completely and totally devoted on the part of a sinner to being humble and honest and penitent about what their life is and the direction that they're headed in. John would write this to some people that he loved. He says, let me tell you what I know about Jesus in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. He says, this is the message that we heard from Jesus, and I'm sharing it with you now. God is light, and there's no darkness in him at all. Now, I don't know, when I first read that, I'm thinking, that's not helping me, because I'm already feeling guilty about the darkness in my heart. And if you're telling me there's no darkness in God, you've kind of just told me there's no room for me in God. Keep reading. So we're lying if we say that we have fellowship with God and go on living in spiritual darkness. We're not practicing the truth. Again, not helping. <laughs> Keep reading. But if we are living in the light, as God is in the light, that must be a good day, right? If I'm living in the light, if I'm living in the light as God is in the light, then I'm, that's probably a good day for me, and I'm not messing up if I'm living in the light where God is. And other people see that. He says, we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, watch this. What does it say next? It cleanses us from all sin. Pop quiz. Where does sin come from? What sin is there because I thought I was living in the light? I thought I was living in the light with God who's, in, who's all light. There's no darkness in him at all. And if that's me, if I'm living in the light, then what sin do I have left to be? Unless, unless the reality is that there will always be sin in my life because remember, I'm like 270 around Columbus. I'm a project that's under construction. For those of you that don't want to be a hypocrite but know that you're not perfect, again, keep reading 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. If we claim we've no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, why would I do that? I thought guilt and shame bred fear and led to hypocrisy. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just. You can count on him to do the right thing, faithful and just. Just is doing the right thing. Faithful means you can count on him. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness.
The option and choice is ours. If we claim we've not sinned, then we're calling God a liar, showing that His Word has no place in our heart. So let me ask you again, what is there about hypocrites? Well, it's not that they're sinners, because we're all sinners. The difference is, some of us own it and try to do better. Others of us deny it and try to hide it and hope nobody discovers it, even God. Here's what I know to be true. Trust me, I've tried. I can't fix people. And you can't fix me, so stop trying. It's just wearing all of us out. I can't fix people, and neither can you. But what I can do is let them see Jesus. I can show them what Jesus looks like. I can show them what light looks like instead of darkness. Because Jesus was no hypocrite. His words and his life always matched up completely. Even if and when his followers fell short. He always kept his promises. Even in death, I'll be back in three days. And he always will keep his promises. I'll never leave you alone. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I'll send someone to be your helper. He described it as a counselor, a helper, the Spirit of God himself. He will not leave us alone. David, this would probably be a good time for you and the praise team to join me back on stage. Home stretch. Get ready to slide across the plate. If Jesus is the real deal because he's no hypocrite, then isn't it time for you to get real in your walk of faith like him? Because the life that he lived, he lived by faith in God just like we do. The life that he lived was empowered by the Spirit of God, just like we have the ability to be empowered by that same Spirit of God. So if he's the real deal, then isn't it time for you to get real in your walk of faith as well? What are you going to do about Jesus? Our hope is that you'd realize it's time for you to learn more about him. It's time for you to get real about your walk of faith and start to love those people that may or may not be likable. That may like the things that you don't like. That may need to be forgiven. But that's what it takes to love like Him. Because if we'll do that, you'll find that it's time for you to begin to look more like Him in how you live your life. And that honors God. We all need help. (laughs) That's why we're here. If you'd like prayer, there's an elder that'll be happy to do that and meet with you privately in a prayer room here on the side. Why don't you join them there?
while together we now stand. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to learn more about Marysville Christian Church and connect with us, be sure to go to our website, marysvillechristian.org. If you are near the Marysville area, we would love to have you join us on Sunday morning. We have our Bible study classes at 9 a.m. and our regular worship service is at 10 a.m. Our address is 17,000 Waldorf Road, Marysville, Ohio, 43040. Our phone number is 937-642-9838. Email is office at barrysvillechristian.org.